real quick, I just want to invite the kids to come forward. Um, God just laid something on my heart. <clears throat> you know, last week we spent time in groups praying, and biblically we're called to pray for one another, we're called to carry each other's burdens. Um, but the one thing we don't do very often is pray over our children, who we claim to be not only the future of the church, but the church presently. And so um, there, there's two things that I want to do this morning. I, I want to invite the church to, to, uh, to extend a hand to our children, and, and I want to invite us uh, into praying for them. Um, if you feel led to pray, we want to encourage you to pray out loud. Um, if you're not comfortable praying out loud, we want to invite you to, to pray quietly. Um, but we know that prayer changes things. Prayer transforms and we know that as God's people, one of our primary callings is prayer. Um, and so I want to invite us uh, to, to extend a hand. And I want to, before they go to kids' ministry, I want the body of Christ, their body, their family, to pray over them this morning. Would you join me in praying for them? If you feel led, pray.
Lord, this morning in Sunday school, we talked about Eli, and we talked about his sons, and the direct contrast between Hannah and her son Samuel. And we talked and seen how Hannah prayed for Samuel for so long. And I can imagine that when he, she surrendered him over to Eli to, to grow up um, in the tabernacle, to, to grow up alongside Eli, to learn and grow from, I can imagine that she was still praying. Lord, and as parents, as grandparents, as great-grandparents, and so some of us in here have the privilege of being great-great-grandparents, um, but all of these things that are happening Lord, there is an incredible responsibility that you've placed on us, a privilege more so to lift our kids up, to pray for them, to point them in the direction that you are calling us to point them, Jesus, and that is practicing the ways of you, Jesus. So, Lord, we pray over them. May they not only grow wise and wisdom as they study your word in Sunday school and other places, but God, my desire for them is more than that. My desire for them is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do as Jesus did. And that is our desire for these children, that they will learn what it means to truly intimately know you, to be transformed in that, and to go and proclaim your good news. So empower them their spirit. May they be reminded that God loves them, that Christ died for them, and the Holy Spirit is with them. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be dismissed for Kids Church. So on the, the opposite spectrum of praying for our kids, God is calling us to pray for the whole church as a whole. And for some of you know, and this is something that just has come up numerous times this week, uh, we have a family member of our church named Sandy who's been sick for almost three years and hasn't been present with the church body. Uh, she has some kind of sickness that is getting worse, and, and it's keeping her from wanting to be with, or, or not she wants to be here, but it's keeping her from being here with her church family or even having opportunities to visit. And so, Sandy, I know every week you watch this, and so if you're watching this, we want to lift up you in the name of Jesus. And so, uh, church, while, while we, we've tried and we, we can't always get to her to pray over her, pray with her, I firmly believe in the calling that as a church we are called as priesthood of all believers to pray for her um, and to lift her up and whether it's technology or anything else, we have a powerful God that nothing can keep him from healing her. But we want to lift her up right now. Um, and so same thing, if you feel led to pray over Sandy in this moment, we want to lift her up um, and pray that, that God will even give her enough strength to want to be here and be present, even if it's only for a few minutes. And so if you feel led to, to pray for Sandy, for those that know her, we want to lift her up right now. And so let's pray for her.
And all God's people said, amen. Well, if this is your first time joining us, or maybe you've missed a little bit, we've been in a series in the book of John called Behold. Uh, This is probably going to take most of the year, if not the whole entire year, for us to go uh, through it. But up to this point, we are introduced to a writer named John who was a disciple of Jesus, and his purpose in writing this was so that they would believe that he is the Son of God, the Christ, the Lord. And so everything that John writes is out of that purpose of introducing us, of pointing us, of calling us to behold this incredible man named Jesus, who we believe is fully God and fully man. And we saw right at the beginning, the first five verses talked about how Jesus has always existed, that the word is pre-incarnate, that he's always been there, that the world was created through him, by him, for him, for his glory. And then we saw uh, John the Baptist be introduced as a witness, as a proclaimer of the light. And we saw that John writing to the second and third generation, um, that, that many people didn't know him. The world didn't know him, and his own people rejected him. And we saw that anyone who receives Jesus, who believes who he is, give the right to become children of God, that were adopted, that were grafted into the family of God. And we learned that salvation isn't because of bloodlines or because you have this great intention or that you work hard for it or your good works do something. It's firmly believing that Jesus is is who he says he is and who John says he is. And then it continues on, and and Rick uh, talked about how how John the Baptist was baptizing with water, but Jesus was going to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit, that Jesus was so much greater. And the people were wondering, well, then why are you baptizing? And his thing saying, hey, I'm the voice. I'm the one that's pointing to the Lamb of God who's coming. And then we see Jesus come on the scene. We see John the Baptist beholding him, calling out, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And up to that point, uh, we know a little bit about John the Baptist. We know a little bit about John's direction in writing this. Know that John and John the Baptist are two different people. John, the writer, actually doesn't mention his name at all by name. He may mention it by a, a, a disciple whom Jesus loved and all these different things, but he actually doesn't physically say his name. And so where are we? Where is John going? So I'm going to invite you to stand as we read John chapter 1, starting in verse 35 this morning. And I just want to invite you to sit there, stand there, and to listen. Sit, stand. Mike, wake up your mind. What are you doing? Stand. I just want you to listen. And Holy Spirit, as we are listening to your word being spoken being read out loud, may you already begin to bring things to our mind of what stands out, of what it is that you are calling us to really hone in and focus in on. And so verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? 
And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard Jen speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You may be seated. So as you guys were listening, as you were hearing, um, this is going to be more of a participating a little bit of my message. What stood out to you? What is a word or a phrase that stood out to you as you were listening as I was reading? Hmm. Follow me. What stood out? What's a word or a phrase that maybe the Holy Spirit and your heart have just linked on to? Behold the Lamb of God. Anything else? Do you believe? Hard question to ask. What else? Hmm. Messiah. We found the Messiah. It's an interesting analogy, isn't it? It's an incredible word picture. Anything else? What is the Holy Spirit connecting your heart to? Well, Holy Spirit as we process this passage, Lord, we are inviting you to come and be present, flow through, speak to our hearts, 
Lord, may we be drawn to you as we read, as we process this passage. May you be glorified in and through us. Lord, I pray, Father, that as we talk about what it means to practice the ways of Jesus, Father, that we will continue to see you clear and clear until the day that you return. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So, have any of you ever gotten the question, are you a leader or are you a follower? A lot of times it happens in leadership roles or business roles, and it's the encouragement of going, um, you know, if you're, if you're a leader, step up and lead. Um, and, and there's always this bad stigma that, that if you're a follower, then there's something wrong with you sometimes because you're not advancing. But here's the reality. I think all of us, in our own way, in some way, are leaders in some capacity. It could be a good leader. It could be a bad leader. But here's the reality that we all are. We're all followers. We all follow someone or something, whether it be a favorite sports player growing up, uh, those that have played sports, maybe you watched and, and there's players that you just strive to be like. I mean, I remember being out on the basketball court, not really being able to play basketball, but imagining myself being like Mike. Mike and Mike, right? Or you watch others, or maybe it's in football, and as a quarterback, you imagine yourself like Peyton Manning, and you try to manage his mannerisms and the way he throws, or you try to watch how, how uh, people shoot the basketball, or maybe it's tennis, and you are a big Roger Federer fan or a Serena Williams fan, or, or maybe it's golf, which is, I've never done it, and up to this point, I think it's a very boring sport, but hey, that's me. No offense to you, but maybe you watch Tiger Woods or any of them and you try to match their swing or their mannerism. Or maybe um, even as a CEO, you have a company, but the reality is you're reading books on how to be an effective CEO or you're, you're doing things. So all of us follow someone or something in our lives. I know growing up... Um, it was probably ninth or 10th grade. Um, I, I was currently at one church, and I was teaching, but I wasn't, there was something missing in my life. I didn't have an effective mentor, one who can take me under their wing and show me the ways of Jesus and point me to the Lord. And so my mom uh, somehow got connected to a youth pastor in a Methodist church locally. And so one night they were having a, um, game night, it was at Dave and Buster's. Have any of you guys ever been to like a Dave and Buster's? Right? And, and it was my first initial interaction with him. But there was something about him and his wife that just, that I was just drawn to. There was something about him and her that caught my attention and caught my focus. And to that point on, throughout high school, all I wanted to do was be in the same room as them. And I wanted whatever that was happening with them and Jesus to rub off on me to the point that I was, um, even in school, all I could think about was, was hanging out with Mike and his, his wife, Kim. And so after school, I would go to his office and I would sit on his couch and just hang out with him. Uh, anytime there was any kind of event that he was oversight of, I made sure that I was there 
Even if my parents didn't come to church with me there, I made an effort to go there because I just wanted to learn from him and his wife. Their love for the community, their love for the broken, uh, their, their love for, for music. Uh, we would have um, coffee houses. And a lot of times it would be uh, hardcore screaming music that he would bring in and we would have these mosh pits in the middle of a small youth room. Um, but there was just something about him that I wanted to learn from. Can you guys think of someone in your life growing up or even now that you have that relationship with, that you just want to learn from and glean from and follow. And, and, and the reality is all of us have some, had, had those in our lives, whether they were great leaders or poor leaders. I mean, when you think about it, the reality is that um, some kids uh, grow up in the gangs, they get in prison, and they're released, and a lot of times they go back to that same amount of living, and you wonder why. Why are they not getting out of there? It's because all they know are the people in their community, and they know that they love them, even if they were bad leaders. But all of us, are, 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 we, we, we attach ourselves to, we glean towards, we, we, we have a connection with, and, and part of us is we want to learn, we want to grow, we want to become like them in some facet. And so each and every single one of us has those, and that is the beauty of what I'm about to talk about this morning, because as believers, the one that we are called to follow is Jesus. If we truly want to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to follow who? Jesus. We have to glean from him. We have to learn from him. We have to study and, and, and organize our lives around the reality that if we want to be like Jesus, then we have to spend time with Jesus. We have to be with Jesus so we can learn, so we can follow so we can become like him, and ultimately, we can do as Jesus did. That should be our goal. That should be our desire. And what we got here is this idea that in order, first and foremost, while we have fixated on other people that we'd like to follow, whether it's sports or, you know, this thing called social media where there's a goal of getting as many followers as you possibly can, and all these things that are happening, our goal should be Jesus in everything we do. And so I would say this, that practicing the ways calls us to behold Jesus, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to see Jesus. Look what it says. It says, the next day again, John was standing with his two disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples that were with John said, peace out, John, we're following Jesus and John's celebration is, yes, follow the one that is greater than me. So our calling is to behold. Up to this point, John the Baptist was like a celebrity. He had followers. People were aware of him. He was a big name. He was bold. He ate locusts. Right? He, he, dressed, he dressed like a boss right? With, with, with skin from animals. <laughs> and here's the reality. Great leaders 
know how to release their followers to follow someone greater than them. And so John, knowing this, said, you know what? While I've led you up to this point, and I've discipled you, and you've followed me, behold the Lamb of God. Look to Jesus. And for them, a lamb was significant. And not only was it uh, good to eat, but it represented the atonement needed, the perfect atonement needed for the forgiveness of sins temporarily during that time. And so John is saying, behold Jesus, the one who's going to officially take away your sins. Behold him. See him. Look to the one who has the power to not only cover your sins, but to officially take it away. So for us, if we want to practice the ways of Jesus, we need to realize that we are sinful people in need of the Lamb of God. And in order to have our sins forgiven, in order for our sins to be atoned for, we have to look to Jesus. We have to behold the Lamb of God. And it's in Christ that our sins can be atoned for. You have sin that desperately needs to be forgiven and covered. And the blood of Jesus is the only way for that to happen. So we are to behold Jesus. Practicing the way leads us on a path to seeking Jesus. Not only do we have to behold him and look to him and change our focus to him, but now we must do something that requires us to go even deeper, and that's to seek Jesus. It's not enough, and, and we have to get past this. It's not enough to just ask Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You must be committed to pursuing him after that. And so are you pursuing Jesus? Are you seeking Jesus? Jesus then turned to those that were following him and, and said, what are you seeking? Here's a question. What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus in his grace and his mercy and his love for people said, come and see. Just come and show up. Up to this point, Jesus' desire wasn't converts. His desire is for people to seek him. And what we'll later on, we're going to find out that his desire is not only to seek, but to follow him. And so they spent time with Jesus. And it says, uh, for with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, it was about 4 p.m. And so they spent a significant amount of time with this rabbi, with the one that John the Baptist said, here is the Lamb of God. What do you think they talked about? As they ate food together, as they enjoyed his other's company, Jesus in this moment, while they were focused on following him, seeing where he stayed in a physical sense, Jesus' question was so much deeper than that because Jesus didn't just come for the physical presence, but he came to heal the spiritual part of a human being. And so this, this question goes deeper, but he accepted and loved and showed grace to their response. But his question is, what is your soul seeking? What do you want? What does your soul crave for? And their response, thinking that he was asking, why are you, why are you walking with me? Their response is, we just want to see where you're going, Jesus. Perhaps Jesus was probing them to be honest with their lives. 
But here's a significant term that we have to understand. John Mark Homer, a, a, a Christian writer, pastor, podcaster, um, a guy that I follow, that I, I love learning from, said this, in order to fully understand discipleship, you have to understand the Jewish educational system. We have to understand the significance as to why they said rabbi, which means teacher. When we begin to understand the significance of that educational system, it then transpires to what a disciple is actually called to do and to be and to become like. And so... Maybe as they were asking this, maybe they were intended on, on hopefully this rabbi, this teacher interviewing them for an apprenticeship. The, the actual word that, that for, for disciple, while we use disciple, it's the word apprenticeship. And for many people, especially in the trade system, um, in order for you to effectively learn a trade, you have to be an apprentice of someone. You have to learn under someone. Um, and for many of them, in order to be licensed, you have to do that. A rabbi was a significant master in Israel, a spiritual master. They were teachers of the Torah, and they were a magnet of the examples of life with God. Rabbis would have been seen walking around Galilee with followers. A lot of them could have had multi-bivocational um, jobs. They would have had their own yoke, which was a set of teachings a way of reading scripture, how to thrive as a human being in God's world. And so when Jesus said, hey, my yoke is easy, his teachings, his way of life were easy. And so how did the educational system work? Well, kids started school around five years old, and from five years old to 12 years old, they were part of an education called Bet Sefer, which, was a, which means house of book. And during this time, during their studies, they would have memorized the entire Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. How many of you know and memorize the whole five books of the Old Testament? They would have learned, and at the end of this age, around 12 years old, they would have gone home and apprenticed under their family business. At 12 years old, they would have went, and, and a lot of them would have served under the family business as apprentices. But if you were top of the top students, you would continue on in a school called Midrash, which was the house of learning. And by the age of 17, get this, they would have memorized the whole entire Old Testament. And by this age, most were done, and they went home, and they were told to go home, make babies, maybe pray that they would become rabbis, learn a trade. This would have been their thing. But then the best of the best of the best would have went on to be interviewed by a rabbi. This was hard. It was a, an apprenticeship program, which was like trying to apply and get into an Ivy League school. Think about that. So not many people would pass this point. Not many Jewish kids would actually pass the point of schooling at the age of 12. And so they would have, they would have interviewed. They would have had all of these things, and, and in the interview process, if the rabbi seemed fit for you to follow him, you were going to get incredible words called, come and follow me. Now, as an apprentice of rabbis, this wasn't an eight-to-five job. 
where you go to class and you come home and you're back with your family and everything's great. When you begin to follow a rabbi and you have that invitation, your whole life is with that rabbi 24-7. You eat with him, you sleep around him, you learn from him, you study him. And this is a continual cycle as a rabbi. And the goal was to become like him. And this was a very select few. And as we learned from Scripture, this moment here, Jesus saw them, and their desire was to follow a rabbi because a lot of them were, were disqualified. They weren't allowed to follow a rabbi. They were doing their own trades. They were fishermen. Some were tax collectors. And so they were in a trade They were at one point an apprentice of someone, and now they have a trade. And so their desire was Jesus as rabbi. We just want to follow you. We want to see where you lay. And so your entire life as a disciple, as an apprentice, should be organized in such a way that you desire to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do as he did. That was the goal of a rabbi. That was the goal of apprenticeship. And here's the reality. Most Christians are not great as apprenticeship. I read a stat recently that said that 70% of Americans still identify as Christian and only 4% actually practice the ways of Jesus. So that means some of you in here claim to be Christians but aren't actually practicing the ways of Jesus. You're not studying under him. Maybe you've said the prayer and, and, and confessed your sins and, and you're comfortable with that, but, the, but the, the following of Jesus goes deeper than just believing in Jesus. What does it mean? What, 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 what are we to, to find our hope in? What are we to find our desires in? How are we to learn? Well, we have to understand this, that practicing the way transforms our identity, which is found in Jesus. When we accept Jesus, he changes us. His desire is to transform us, and that can only happen if we're fully practicing the ways of Jesus. One of the two who heard John speak, followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Like, hey, Peter, Simon, we found the Messiah. We found the Christ. Come. And so he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. Simon is his name, son of John is his family's name, but Jesus does something significant. What does he do? He changes his name to Cephas, which means Peter. And if we go on, what does Peter mean? The rock. Jesus' desire in giving out nicknames or changing people's names was to show that they are no longer going to live their old way of life. As believers, as followers of Jesus, if we truly accept him and desire to follow him, Jesus gives you a new name. That name is the son and daughter of the king. Not only that, but his desire is to transform your life. Because when we encounter Jesus and we behold Jesus and we begin to seek Jesus, we are no longer defined by our past but defined by Jesus himself. 
Look what Ephesians 1 says. Ephesians 1, 3. Do I have it up there? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard of his glory, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised what? Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of glory. So when we accept Jesus, we're no longer identified as sinners as lost. But Ephesians 1 says that we're part of the beloved, that we're forgiven, that we're redeemed, that we're saved. Those are just a few of the things that we find our identity in because Jesus is the one that changes our names. And so up to this point, maybe in your life, what are some of the names that you've been defined by? Maybe as you were going You were defined by the enemy as stupid, worthless, not important, failure, difficult, burden, addict. And Jesus says, hey, listen, in me, my blood transforms that. My blood doesn't see you as an addict anymore. My blood sees you as a child of God, as forgiven, as atoned for, as covered up. My my blood of Jesus Christ no longer allows the lies of the enemy that says you're worthless, that you are loved by me. So what are the names that maybe the enemy has given to you over the years or over time that you continue to believe and Jesus is saying, no, look, my identity, find your identity in me because it's in me that you will be changed. Practicing the ways of Jesus invites us into following Jesus. The next day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And so Jesus goes the next day and says, hey, Philip, follow me. Jesus is calling us to not only believe and behold him, but to follow him, to live in his footsteps, to serve under him, to learn under him, to apprentice under him. That is what Jesus desires for his disciples. Look at all of these things. He's not saying convert to Christianity. Matter of fact, the word Christian only appears three times in Scripture. Why is it the word that we use to define ourselves? But 250 plus times it says the word disciple or apprentice or learner or follower of the way. That are those that truly follow the ways of Jesus. 
You're not just a Christian, if that's the American and the world use that you want to know, but you are followers of the way. You are disciples of Jesus. Because I guarantee you that we've interacted with people who would identify as Christian and nothing in their life actually resembles that. And we begin to question, are you really a believer of Jesus? Or do you just like the title because you want to feel like you're a part of something? And so Jesus, meeting Philip, who is from Bethsaida, which means house of fishing, invited him to follow, to come behind, to follow in the footsteps, to learn from me, to join me in my journey. That is what Jesus is inviting us to. And so is that, does that reflect your life? As one who claims to believe in Jesus, do you, does your life align with the reality that you are truly following in Jesus and learning from him? Practicing the way deploys us into doing as Jesus did. When we follow the ways of Jesus, not only is our goal to be with Jesus and to become like him, but our goal as an apprentice, of any apprentice serving under a rabbi, is to eventually do as he did. So our calling as followers of the way is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and to do as Jesus did. And so... Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. What did Jesus at the beginning, how did he answer the two disciples that were like, where are you living? Where are you staying? Come and see. And so Philip here, the same one, responding to Nathaniel with those same exact words, come and see. See, as, as followers of the way, our intention shouldn't just be, hey, just get saved. Just believe in Jesus and, and, and everything will be okay. Our calling as followers of the way is to go to people who have questions, maybe there's pushback, maybe they're trying to play devil's advocate or they're doing all these things and your invitation should be, hey, just come and see. Hey, what is your church like? Come and see. What is Jesus like? Hey, how about you come and see? Interact with followers of Jesus. Come and see what Jesus is doing. That is our calling. That is our, should be, our desire is to invite people to come and just show up. Because here's the reality. We, in and of ourselves, are not going to be one that transforms them or converts them. That is Jesus' role. And if we want people to truly convert and follow Jesus, then we need to provide an invitation for them to come and see what Jesus is all about. That is the incredible reality of Jesus. And so not only when we become like him, eventually as apprentices, the rabbis are going to go say, go and do. Go and be like me. Go and get your own apprentices. And so how are we doing that? Are we doing that? As believers, are we providing an invite for people to come and see? Are we providing opportunities for people to experience Jesus? Nathaniel, at this point, he is watching this, and he's going, man, something is up. 
Philip is like, hey, listen, we, we found Jesus of Nazareth. He's the Messiah. And Nathaniel and his skepticism, could, could anything really come from Nazareth? Nazareth wasn't high and mighty. It was actually a very boring city. Um, and, and it's not a, a city that's actually mentioned in the Old Testament. But yet somehow Matthew says that Jesus comes from, he's a Nazarene. And Nathaniel's like, is anything really good coming from him? And his whole thing is this, just come and see and experience Jesus. Hey, come in and allow Jesus to speak to you. Allow him to experience, come and see and experience the love of Jesus. And so practicing the way leads us into discovering that Jesus knows everything about us and loves us deeply. Look what it says. Nathaniel said to him, like Jesus responds to him and says, hey, a true Israelite right here. And Nathaniel's words were, how do you know me? I'm really confused. I've never met you in my life. How do you know me? And Jesus has answered him and said this, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus saw Nathaniel. And you might look at this going, a physical fig tree? Jesus actually saw Nathaniel sit under a fig tree. But the fig tree actually holds symbolic importance in Jewish culture. It is often represents a place of meditation, prayer, and reflection. And when Jesus mentions Nathaniel being under the fig tree, he implies that he saw Nathaniel during a private moment of contemplation of prayer or whatever it was going on. Jesus said, hey, in that moment, that private moment, I saw you, whatever they may be. And in this moment, Jesus is saying, I'm sovereign. By mentioning the fig tree, Jesus demonstrates that he sees beyond the external and knows Nathaniel's heart. He perceives Nathaniel's innermost doings and thoughts. And in all of this, not only do we realize that Jesus knows us and he loves us deeply, we experience that more and more the more that we engage and intimately know Jesus. But practicing the way ultimately points us to the incredible reality of who Jesus is. Nathaniel in this moment says, you are the son of God. How did you know that? No one else knew that, but you knew that. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angel of the God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus defines himself as the son of man which is significant because in reality he's saying, he's like, not only am I divine, but I'm human. This moment, this explanation, if you remember Genesis, was actually a symbol that happened in Genesis. Remember Jacob falling asleep on the rock, sees a vision of this ladder that's going up and down and angels are going up and down it. And in this moment, Jesus confirms that that ladder is him. Jesus is the bridge between us and the Father. Jesus is the ladder, the only way to the Son, to the Father, is through the Son. The Son of Man is a word that occurs 81 times in the Gospels. We remember Jesus referring to Genesis 28. Remember a lot of what happened about Jacob. Jacob, in this moment, was not a man full of integrity, he was a manipulator. 
He was a lawyer. He actually had to flee because he, he uh, was afraid of his brother. And God gives him this glimpse and the reminder that even in your worst moments, God desires to still show up. He desires to still transform you, to still change you if you'll choose to lay down your old way of living for him. And so Nathaniel realized that Jesus knew everything about him. I just want to show you this video. Is the computer on mute? Well, my fault that apparently I didn't check uh, hearing or, or to play the audio of it. Um, but if you go on YouTube and type in, uh, from the chosen, Jesus' interaction with Nathaniel, while the chosen, you know, adds stuff and all of these things, you begin to begin a, a bigger picture of Jesus' interaction with Nathaniel. And there's something about that that makes you just want to fall more in love with Jesus how gracious and how loving and how incredible the Lord is. And so practicing the way, that is what we're called to. That is what we're called to apprentice, to apprentice under Jesus, to follow in the ways of Jesus. Dallas Willard said this, discipleship to Christ is the status within which the process of spiritual formation in Christ-likeness runs its course. Church, if we truly want to be transformed, if we truly want to believe and live in the way that God is making all things new, a part of that is following the ways of Jesus and allowing Christ to transform your life. Listen to this. There is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. If you truly want to understand the creator himself, following Jesus is our calling. Transformation is only possible if we're willing to arrange our lives around the ways, practices, rhythms, and truths of Jesus. It's not enough to say you believe and just come to church on Sunday. What you do Monday through Saturday matters. Are you truly practicing the ways of Jesus, or are you comfortable being what I'm going to call a seat hog? One who just shows up on Sunday. Doesn't spend time with him during the week. Doesn't spend time praying doesn't spend time just desiring to sit silently in the presence of Jesus, but just comes on Sunday mornings and that is okay with you. That is not the true ways of Jesus. Jesus isn't calling converts. He's calling followers of Jesus. He's calling apprentices. He's calling disciples who are going to learn and follow under him. And that was John's whole desire to see that we're going to see that the ways of Jesus require us to lay down everything about us and to pick him up and follow him. So who are you seeking? What is your name? What is Jesus saying about you? And will you follow Jesus? Jesus is inviting you into a new way of living that will truly transform you. Are you willing to lay down everything if that means to follow Jesus? Worship team coming up. Lord, that was a longer message 
But Lord, there's significance there. You're calling us to seek you. You're calling us to find our identity in you. You're calling us to follow you. You're calling us to do as you did. And so, Lord, may our our desire be to apprentice under you. May we desire to know you deeper and more intimately. May we desire to become like you. And we can if all we're doing is showing up on Sunday mornings. Are we truly following in the ways of Jesus? And if not, Lord, convict us. What are the areas of our life that we're not truly surrendering to you for that to fully happen? Holy Spirit, speak during this last song and reveal to us what needs to change. Where does our focus need to come off of and be put on? Amen.